you guys are supposed to like start the chatter, bring the energy. Are we doing? Are we <laughs> I didn't know if we actually first? wanted to crack beer first. Yeah, I this thought time, we were going to start we doing. We're just going um, a new trend. All right, well, let's crack beers then. Oh, all over uh, the laptop. That was a good crack, though. It sounded like I heard a little bit of everybody's. This board peers so nicely into the glass. Oh, I'm at elevation. <laughs> Not going well. Oh, a lot here. ahead there, Josh. Yeah, it pours very well. Maybe I'm just not very good at it. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. Definitely, Josh. You <laughs> just, you just need to have you just need to have a lower elevation state of mind. Ooh. And if you did that, maybe the beer would have less foam. How much foam is in the glass right now? If you did like a percentage of, okay, we're about fifty. Well, maybe it's a, a it's a 50. narrow neck. I'm gonna I'm gonna say is that even a sixteen ounce glass? 75, 25. Uh, I don't know. I'll let you know in a second. I don't think it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that could also be an issue. We shouldn't start with Josh. Josh, what are your thoughts on that? Beer? Loving yeah. it. <laughs> well, let's get this thing going. Hey there. Hey there. Yeah, well, hey there. Welcome to episode 39 of the Bruise Day podcast. This is Andy, and I'm going to be your host, and I'm joined by Wes, Josh, and Rob tonight. What's up, fellas? Yo. What's going on? Hey. This week, we're going to kick off with our Cheers Beer of the Week before diving into the Brewers Association's Craft Brewery Production Report for 2020, which was released earlier this month. We're going to look at the report so we can see how the industry held up during what ended up being just a, an absurd 2020. After that, we're going to get a status update on kind of our 2021 predictions that we made at the end of last year in our second mini episode. We had both a safe and a bold prediction, so I'm going to want to get status updates on those and if they've come true so far i know we're only about a quarter of the way into the year but i still want to get a status update after the break we'll crack open our unique beer of the week before getting into our big board lightning round and good bad or ugly of the week but that's enough of me i need to take a breath and a drink so uh, let's have a drink fellas cheers cheers so today's cheers beer is visit el segundo which is a double ipa from el segundo brewing in beautiful el segundo california Neither Josh nor I live there any longer, but I was recently able to pick some up on a trip down to LA and was able to each get you one of the cans through a brew PS shipment. So I'm glad I was able to get them and get them to you. This beer measures in at 7.7% ABV with no IBU listed. On Untapped, it has over 400 rated check-ins with an average rating of four out of five. This is unique to us all. So I wanted to, to get your first thoughts on it. Josh, as a former resident of El Segundo and my neighbor from two doors down, I'm going to start off with you. What do you think of this? I'm liking it so far. I get a decent amount of tropical fruit. I'm not getting so much of the herbs and pine. That might be, for me, hidden by some of the hops that are coming through towards the end. Um, you can definitely tell You know, Simcoe is, is a really good bittering hop, and, and you can certainly tell that they've used it for that. And the smell to me doesn't match up exactly with what I'm tasting, which is kind of interesting. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely getting what the, the hops are pushing through. I, you know, in terms of the description, it's kind of mostly hyping up El Segundo, which uh, given I've lived there, I definitely liked it and uh, super, super in love with El Segundo beer. So this one's good. I, I think I'm trending a, a, maybe a little bit higher than that rating, but definitely need to get into it. There's a lot of nuance, uh, I think, to this one. Yeah, Josh, I, I actually agree. Well, I, I somewhat agree with you. I am getting a good aroma off of it. You said you, your aroma is not really matching your flavor. I get the aroma of like you read 
the hops. You kind of see what it is. I'm getting some like nice tropical, a little bit of herb. It's, it's faint, but you get it a little bit. It smells like it's going to be a nice light thing. And then you taste it and this thing punches you in the mouth. It is yeah. hoppy. So you, I, I, I agree with you. I don't really get much of the flavor out of either of these hops. And maybe that's just because of how much hops they added to this. I really like that. It's super hoppy like that, but I, I don't get much like of the nuances of these hops. I'm just getting mostly like a punch in the mouth of bitterness, yeah. um, which I personally don't think is a bad thing. I, I really <laughs> like a bitter beer. My initial reaction was a lot of pine and I, I think I am picking up on that, that pine taste, but I think it, it does mix in well with, with the fruits. Um, there's a lot of it. I think I, I agree with both of you, um, but I seem to be getting pine basically throughout Rob, that's a little surprising. I'm more in line with Wes and Josh on the the kind of fruit forward citrus flavors. I do get pine and earthiness on the back end as it like once I'm done with my sip and I start getting into that aftertaste, I do get a lot of pine with that. I I feel like the Simcoe is really like pushing through pretty yeah. hard to get those kind of, you know, it says bright citrus flavors in the description I'm seeing for Simcoe. And I think that's, that's pretty spot on um, for this beer. The description that El Segundo gives for this <laughs> beer is, has really nothing to do with the exactly. beer. It's all about yeah. just promoting the city of El Segundo and El Segundo Brewing Company's like, sister company, which is the Slice and Pint, which is a pizza place that serves a lot of their beers. So nothing really to go off on the description. So what I'm getting is more, I think I'm picking up more from the the hop descriptions that I'm seeing online for the for these two varieties, Vic Secret and Simcoe. I'm enjoying it so far. Um, I want to kind of circle back with you guys on a rating. And uh, Rob, I'll start off with you. What do you kind of where are you at initially on a rating? I'm I think I'm above the average. I think I'm going to come in right at around a four point one. I like the flavors. I like how they. I like the hoppiness. Uh, I always enjoy trying a good El Segundo beer, so I appreciate it, Andy. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, this is, and this is, you know, something we we've been trying to seek out some very hoppy beers, and and I I think this one hits it for me. Wes, I'm going to jump to you next. What are you? Where are you sitting on a rating? Yeah, so I just recently had the Stone Enjoy by 420. It actually right before this podcast, and I rated that a four. And I would be hard pressed to not rate this, to be honest with you, the exact same rating of that four, because this beer is almost identical, not necessarily exact flavor, but in the profile of it where good smell, you drink it, it has not a lot of bitterness. The only knock I'll get it is there's not necessarily a lot of flavor coming through with that bitterness. I yeah. like that. I, I really like the bitter beer, but I don't know if I can give it like a a, a super high rating because there's not a lot, a lot of flavor coming through. So I think I'm probably right at that four, similar to what I just rate, rated the uh, enjoy by. Wes, I do agree with some of your points. I actually just recently had the enjoy by over the weekend and I do pick up a lot of similarities between this beer and the enjoy by, which was advertised as a hazy it was but, not. Yeah, I don't it think was so. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird because I feel like it's usually the opposite. Usually it's like, hey, this is IPA you port. And like, this is 
absolutely a hazy, but yeah, you don't see the other way very often. Yeah, I so I, I'm definitely in line. I'm maybe just a little bit over Rob. I'm gonna be with you at 4.1. I think this gets a little bit of a hometown bump for me. I have a soft, <laughs> very soft spot in my in my heart for also going to Brewing Company. And so I I feel like I always rate their beers a little bit higher than than maybe the the average would be. So I'm gonna go with a 4.1. Josh, over to you. I'm gonna try not to give it a hometown bump and and you know judge it fairly. I was at a 4.1. As I'm getting into it, I don't know if, if you're picking up on this. The aftertaste to me is getting on the earthy side. Maybe maybe partially like herby as as uh, Vic Secret and Simcoe both list in in their flavor profiles. I don't think I'm loving that. Um, we'll, we'll kind of see where I end up at, at the bottom of this. I, I think I'm leaning closer to Wes at a at a four. Um, you know, I know there's there's only 400 ratings. But I think that that 4.0, 4.1 is is right around the range. I think it's a, it's a solid rating. Well, I think we're going to keep enjoying these beers that we've opened. And we're going to just jump to our main topic. So as I mentioned in the introduction, a couple of weeks ago, the Brewers Association released the, their first findings from their 2020 Craft Brewing Industry Production Report. It's a lot of words, but it's craft beer production. Understandably, the craft beer industry took a huge hit in 2020 due to the pandemic on a high level overall craft beer saw a nine percent decline in total production as it like by volume of barrels produced and they ended 2020 at just under 23.1 million barrels produced that the ba captured in their data for reference in 2019 the industry produced 26.3 million barrels and although the full report won't be released until May. The information that they've released has been really interesting to see. I've personally found it fascinating to kind of dive into it and actually finally get to dive into it. I've never seen this type of data before from the Brewers Association. We we got the membership so we could get the data so we could be informed. And, <laughs> and I just found it fascinating to kind of read through and uh, listen to their economist, give a presentation about the data. But Knowing that we have gotten a chance to see the data and some of the coverage, I wanted to kind of get get your take on what you found kind of either most interesting or what surprised you. And Josh, I'm going to start off with you first from, from what you've seen and read, you know, what stands out to you about the 2020 numbers and production? There's, there's a ton uh, that, that I pulled from this. I think the first one that I, that I sort of want to start us off on is the inclusion of untapped in this data set to me is super interesting. It's starting to give more validity to a subset of people that I know all breweries aren't necessarily super stoked to, to be rated by, but I, I do think it gives some validity to the rankings uh, that, that these beers are getting from, you know, everyday Joes like us who are drinking the beer and giving it a rating. And to me, just seeing it in there and, and knowing that the, the four of us closely like monitor and, and we're constantly on untapped, I just thought that was, you know, a major step. I definitely didn't remember seeing it in the 2019 report. Um, so I, I think it's it's interesting that they are including that for really a variety of reasons. Yeah, Josh, that stood out to me too. And when I listened to the BA's economists give the presentation about these initial findings, he mentioned untapped basically, you know, as a peer to like retail scan data 
that they are given by you know industry analysts about what's being purchased at retail. So retail scans are one metric that's very well accepted in the industry as a metric to gauge you know performance on, but knowing that they've now brought in untapped, I agree that it adds a lot of validity to what untapped does. And granted, it's not specifically, they weren't looking at ratings at all, but they were looking at pure check-ins of styles and quantities as a metric to gauge performance. Right. And the other piece of information I was most interested in is looking at the data by category. Uh, brew pubs were hit the hardest. Uh, there was a 19% drop. I sort of understand where that comes from, though. They probably went to focus on food to go. They weren't packaging a ton of beers. They were really just trying to stay afloat, which is entirely fair. Tap rooms, on the other hand, being more of my favorite, they fared super well, a 0.1% drop, so almost nothing. Mostly due to another impressive stat, we saw a unprecedented number of tap room openings went up 10% uh, from 2019 to 2020. So I think they got a ton of consumer support and they were also the group that was more willing to be flexible in terms of how they wanted to get their beer out and just you know try to, to weather the storm being focused on beer rather than having to focus on food and beer and entertainment and you know the, the variety of things that, that other people had to focus on. Yeah, Josh, I think the, the point about brew pubs really taking that hit, it's somewhat of a double-edged sword because you're managing beer sales and you're managing food sales. And you know, the the number of staff that are required to prepare food and serve food and pack, like all of that is is greater than what you're gonna get at a brewery or a tap room that's just, you know, filling a crowler, filling a growler. But one thing I think that was noted in the presentation was that, you know, brew pubs had somewhat a better ability to stay open because of their food operations. There was a lot of struggles in the beginning for tap rooms and breweries being like smaller breweries that don't have food service to try to finagle their way into being allowed to open right. where the only way they could open was if they basically had food service um, if, if they could be categorized as a brew pub. And whereas restaurants got to stay open or got to reopen much faster than tap rooms and non-food serving breweries. And I think that it's really interesting. I mean, 50% of brew pubs that were surveyed had a worse performance than that 19% decline. So that is an insane amount of loss. Somebody, somebody's holding them. Somebody's holding them up. I, I don't know who it was though. Yeah. But on the, on the flip of that coin, 31% of tap rooms saw growth. Yeah. That that saved overall the tap room number and got it to, you know, just under even for for last year. So it's and that's kind of diving into these numbers is what really fascinated me and finally being able to see on that scale what performance has been like. And I've always been intrigued by it. I've just never had the access to it. So this year's exactly. been you know, pretty eye-opening for me. Honestly, one one thing that would not be on these stats, but I'd be interested to know is the increase or decrease, whatever it is. But I would guess it could be increase in food truck sales due to this because Outside. I know a lot of places around here or saw on Instagram or on the news that breweries just who didn't have food 
posted up a food truck and said, you know what? Now we have food. People can eat in our place. Can we open? And it actually in Arizona, I know for a fact it did work. They said, okay, you're serving food. People are a lot like it. You're now technically we can categorize you as somewhat of a restaurant and people can come sit and they were able to open up. I mean, Arizona was a little bit more lenient. That's for sure. So that's different. The, the one thing I would love to call out in all these stats that I saw though, is the closings. And I don't know if you guys agree, but this is one of the most surprising ones. And then I thought about it and I kind of realized it's not as surprising for a few reasons, but there were 346 craft brew closings, which is only up 4%. So really it's not straight online. Much. Like yeah, who knows if there wasn't like a COVID, it wouldn't have been the same thing. I actually think that COVID could have helped that in a weird way. I think there's a couple things. I think government assistance really helped people. So some people that were failing for maybe reasons other than COVID may have gotten some big help during that. Yep. I think there's the fact that it, you don't need as many employees. Unfortunately, there was a lot of layoffs. I think it was like a 14% decline in employment in craft beer. Yeah. So there's less, there's less money go to employment at that point. But I also think one of the biggest things about this, in my opinion, is as a failing brewery, you're getting government assistance, but you also have so much optimism of when this ends. You're still thinking, hey, COVID's going to end. People are going to come back. And I, I think that might be keeping people alive, which is scary. And just th throwing this out there, like I wonder if, if maybe in this summer when stuff does trend back to normal, I worry that some of those places are going to go, Oh shit. Yeah. No, I think those people didn't come back to me. <laughs> I think you're, I think you're exactly right, Wes. I think the, the impact is going to continue. Certainly over the last couple of years, we've seen craft beer continuing to decrease year over year, at least the growth that it wasn't continuing the, the high growth that, that was occurring in the beginning part of the 2010s. There were still a bunch of breweries that opened in 2020. I think it was uh, around 400 or so, but a lot that yeah. closed as well. I think you're right, though, Wes. I think we're going to see a huge impact in 2021 when that support isn't there, but when the people don't return. Yeah. That that also sort of lines up really well with one of the, the stats that I, I wasn't planning on bringing up, but ties really nicely. So revenue went up as visitation went down. And I think that was expected. People are going to a brewery. You know, we, we talked about supporting local. I think we all did that. And, and really, that's probably what helped a lot of these folks. But when I went to a new brewery, I was just going to go and pick up a whole bunch of stuff, take it home and try it all. I tried a few breweries that I really liked. I also tried a few where I bought five or six of their beers, took them home and just wasn't all that impressed. I'm not going to go back, but at the same time, like their sales are up the revenues are up and even though their visitation went down. So to your guys' point, I think there's some sort of uh, balance that that's going to occur once we're all able to go back and, and really choose where we want to go have a couple of beers. Yeah, that's, that's actually a good point, Josh, because I have, you know, when breweries are releasing their right, releasing beers during this and when you couldn't go there, it was like, Hey, we're going to be selling this beer until it sells, sells out. If the brewery sells out in a day, you, you're going to go get that four pack and take it home. There's no ratings for that yet. You don't know what right. it is. And that's yeah. not necessarily the brewery. Like I was doing it with breweries I knew, but like there were a couple where I got back. I was like, 
shit, I wish I had been able to taste this in the brewery before I bought a yeah, four pack. Of I, it. Like, there, there was a spot. I, it was in between where Rob and I were living at the time in Dallas. I went and picked up, I think I picked up like eight beers or 10 beers or something. It was like, it, it's brand new. I got to try it and took it home. And just each one wasn't super impressive. I, I probably wouldn't have gone back, but at the same time they picked up, you know, 10 growler sales because I, I needed to go and, and stock up my fridge. Yeah. I, I've also had the opposite experience. Uh, in in trying to just support local that I've definitely been introduced to new breweries or maybe I had heard of them or tried them already but got to expand and try some more and am now you know they're one of my some of my top favorites in in Dallas Uh, I'll just call out Celestial as being one of those or Odd Muse that you and I just recently went to like we wouldn't have gone there otherwise it was just a place we hadn't checked out yet well, you guys mentioning that it there was one stat that the economists mentioned, and I believe is in kind of the overall presentation that they released, was that at the brewery sales, and this is like directly to the point you just made, at the brewery sales were 20%, 27% of the value of the total draft sales market in 2020. And in 2019, it was 17%. So you saw a That's 9%, mm-hmm. you saw actually, you saw a 10% increase in at the brewery sales of draft beer. But on the flip side, Rob, it very much makes me think of <laughs> uh, Meddlesome Moth in Dallas about how much beer they had at the beginning of the pandemic and what they had to go through and what a it lot of breweries had to go through because hit. they had so much draft beer. In 2020, the total draft beer, like sales of barrels of beer was 12, like over 12 million for 2020, 12, over 12 million barrels of draft beer sold. In 2019, it was 20 million. It was over 20 million. So you you have an eight million barrel loss of draft beer sales. Wow. A lot of beer. The the really I mean loss of sales, but the really sad part about that is the amount of barrels sold that were also lost. Yeah. There was a yes. lot yeah. of kegs who had to get thrown out because people couldn't sell them because they weren't allowed to open or weren't able to sell it fast enough. A lot of beer got poured out during that which is a big bummer um one of honestly i think like the the point that was the killer for me that when i heard it is the brewers association since they have been doing this has never recorded a decline in production in craft beer they have stats going back to like the 80s or 70s like at least yeah. the 80s never 2020 is the first time year over year beer production has declined in the craft beer industry. That is huge. Obviously, we also haven't seen a global pandemic in the last 30 years, (laughs) but that's a bummer, man, because craft beer has had to struggle in the last 10 years. They've been trying to get, I think they've been gradually increasing by 3% uh, their, their share of the market and then get a hit like this. And they got hit way harder than big beer. So yeah. It's going to be a fight to get back, unfortunately. I, I don't think they're going to be back to the normal production for another like three years at this point. So, Wes, that's a super good point. And I don't know if you guys have any other uh, sort of thought starters on, on this report. But one of the things I saw in there as sort of a, a prediction was that we really won't right-size until 2023. Exactly. I, per- yep. I personally think 2022 might be massive. I don't know if you agree, like that might be going a bit against that and it might be too soon. I could sort of see us getting 
fact, maybe not production, but I think the desire will be there in 2022. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, Josh, on the 2022 part. I also want to bring back Wes the point you made about the breweries that are kind of being floated by the PPP loans. <laughs> and that true. You might actually see a large amount of closings, as Wes, you kind of mentioned that could happen when that government funding drops and the people don't return. But I could foresee a big drop or a big, I guess, increase in the number of closings, but also great performance for the breweries that do stick around because there is going to be that desire to get back out. But the the limiting factor is breweries only have so much production capacity. So yeah. are you going to see more contract brewing? Are you going to see more, I guess, beer price know, gouging? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> potentially. Like the supreme of actually the liquid beer, not just beer products, as you mentioned in our merch episode, Josh. So something that really stood out to me really beyond the figures, and it was something that I think... I probably knew in my heart of hearts, but didn't, I guess, really know. And this topic is definitely debatable. And there's probably a lot of debates that happen even within the Brewers Association about it. But it's the parameters that the Brewers Association uses to define what is an independent craft brewery and what then counts in this report. And over the past decade, we've seen a lot of acquisitions of craft breweries by the big players, AB InBev, Miller Coors all of that. And this impacts based on the BA's parameters, what is considered an independent craft brewery. So the big distinction is the independent status and the Brewers Association uses kind of somewhat of a, a few different like metric points. But one of them is if a brewery is more than 25% owned by a non-craft brewing entity, AKA AB InBev Molson Coors, then it's not considered a independent or an independent craft brewery. And there's a lot of breweries that I consider as craft that aren't even counted in this report. And I think one of the ones that stands out most to be more recently is New Belgium because in late 2019, they were purchased by, I think, a Kieran subsidiary mm -hmm. out of Australia. So they their numbers no longer count in this 2020 report. But there's others like Lagunitas and Four Peaks that are owned by large players that you know, haven't counted for years because they were purchased a few years ago. So I wanted just to kind of, you know, get your quick opinion on, on this. Uh, do you agree with kind of the Brewers Association stance of not including some of these larger craft breweries in this report because they're not considered independent? And, and Wes, just, you know, knowing that Four Peaks is one, a brewery that, that we love that's, you know, owned by AB InBev, like, do you agree that Four Peaks shouldn't be included? I honestly, I do. I mean, they're owned by AB InBev. I looked through this entire list of like the main contributors that they're saying like, Hey, just so you know, we don't include this. You sent us this spreadsheet yeah. and there's not a single one on here that I disagree with. It's, it's not only by the owner, but who the brewery is. And it just, it just makes sense to me. I, I think that the fact that it says 25% are over, but a lot of these ones are kind of owned by a little bit more like there's a little bit more ownership than that, to be honest. And I think the fact that they are producing, you see these production numbers going through the years and they are, they skyrocket. Yeah. And I don't, I just think it's only fair to just cut them out. Like they aren't these craft brewers that we think of like golden road, for example, they went from 160,000 to 240. 
40,000 from 2018 to 2019. One that year. is a huge <laughs> yeah. jump. And there's no way in hell, there's absolutely no way, unless being purchased, they would have done that. So it's just like, it just, it seems, it to me, it seems correct. And looking through the list, it, it seems right to me. I, I don't want to go too in-depth because I, I have personal feelings about this and we could maybe even make it another episode. I think the the definition of craft beer, that is what is throwing this whole discussion off. And to me, I would love to start seeing it based on scale and rather than, than an arbitrary craft beer label. I think independent is super important. I think you can break it out that way. But at the same time, I, I sort of want to see at these different operating levels where people are standing. And I would love if the industry could pick up you know, some sort of different term to help differentiate the super small brewery who's making unique stuff all the time versus somebody who's pumping out something on a, on a national basis. So to me, it's, it's a, it's a craft beer as a, as a definition discussion. I think the, the list they've made is probably the best they can do with what they have available to them. Yeah. I, I agree that they're in a very tough place because it is very debatable. And there's a lot of breweries that I think should still be considered craft breweries, but I, to your point that the independent is such a key point of that. And there are other parameters that they use in regards to production, but a lot of these breweries still aren't to that point, even on their production scale being purchased, right? They're not past that threshold, which I think is like 6 million barrels and no one is near. I mean, new Belgium is maybe close to a million (laughs) before they got bought. So they would still have a long way to go in production. Yeah. I'm a little caught up on the word craft too, because it makes me think of like Four Peaks and, and Lagunitas and New Belgium. I think of those as craft, but I think I need to kind of stick with that distinction of independent versus like owned by a larger entity. I I, I think there's a difference between operating like a craft brewery and being having your stats included in a brewer's association, like yeah, craft beer, small brewery, independent brewery statistics you know like Mm -hmm. i get that like four peaks does a great job of it four peaks owners stayed on they still run it they still do craft beer they still they're actually starting to innovate more recently honestly but i don't think their numbers should be in this in the statistics that we're looking at because they have money pumping into them from an outside thing and i don't think that's really the the industry like numbers we're looking at We're, we're looking at the small guys and seeing how how small craft beer is looking, not, not mega. And honestly, like, I think that's the difference. I think I would call four peaks mega craft beer nowadays because they have all that money (laughs) pumping in ballast point. Like, you know, all those that's mega craft. I'm looking at like small craft. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So I think we've now exhausted our conversation around the 2020 production reports. We're going to shift away from that and actually take a look back at our 2021 predictions that we made at the end of last year, we each made a safe and a bold prediction. So I wanted to kind of give you an opportunity to give us an update on your predictions and if they've come true, if they're progressing or if they've fallen flat, but I want to, you know, we're, we're getting closer to the halfway point of the year. So I think it's a good time to check in on those. Wes, I'm going to start with you. Give us a status update. Well, first, I need you to tell us what your predictions were, and then I want a status update on if they've come true or not. Yeah, so my safe prediction was an increase in canning and to-go options. 
I don't have stats on this yet this year. I mean, people just aren't releasing stats on this mid quarter. Feel like it happened first quarter. <laughs> but the only thing I can say is that from the stats we just talked about, so in 2020, so I feel like I'm hoping I'm riding that wave into 2021, is that even though breweries got hit, the on-premise decline was 12%, but off-premise retail scans increased 12% as well. So they stayed even, which I am taking as more beer being sent out, which I am also assuming has a little bit to do with more cans being sent out. So yep. I'm, I am saying I'm, I'm trending correctly, but I literally have zero stats in 2021 <laughs> to back that up because nobody's released anything yet. Um, my bull prediction was Quipa's. We're going to increase. We're all going to have more. I, all I know is it's not going well for me because I still <laughs> have not had one. I've I haven't either. Quipa. But Wes, on this podcast, Quipa increases are way up. So I think between Rob and Andy, you yes. are you are trending in the that right direction. That is correct. But I can't have confidence until <laughs> I can even find one of them. So True. I'm not feeling good about the bull. <laughs> we have you covered. <laughs> Wes, thank you for that. Rob, I'm going to go over to you. Uh, what were your predictions? And then where are we standing with those predictions right now? So my safe was craft beer accessibility and mainly uh, delivery and subscription options. I think we'll continue to see this grow, but uh, to be honest, I wasn't really able to find any stats uh, out there to support this yet. I think the challenge here, I think, as I mentioned in the mini episode, is just that state regulation really makes this difficult. Yep. There's very few states that allow direct-to-consumer beer sales, but there's definitely demand out there. Uh, 80% of beer drinkers surveyed by the Brewers Association said that they would have, they would have beer shipped to them directly. And I'm sure that was influenced by the pandemic. Sure. Yeah. And if wine direct to consumer sales over the last 15 years are, are a signal of what would happen if, if beer direct to consumer was allowed, it's certainly, it, it would certainly be very positive. Wine direct-to-consumer sales amounted, it totaled $3.7 billion last year. Rob, what are, the other 20, what are the other 20% of people even doing? I think 100% of people on this podcast would have beer shipped directly to them. That's a great question. <laughs> um, maybe they're just building in, you know, uh, a little... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, it's like the nine out of 10 dentists oh, no. recommend. Right. Yeah. You got to leave. You got to leave a buffer. Okay. I think Rob, what you're saying is that people need to write their elected officials and encourage them to allow beer delivery and shipment of beer. We got to change those rules. Definitely. Yeah. And I think a lot of breweries would take part as well. So I do think this is one that will continue to see grow. Uh, certainly I think the popularity is out there. There's definitely demand. I think you'll see this uh, I, maybe in our next uh, quarterly check. Uh, we'll, I'll have better, better data. stats to predict here. Yeah. yeah. No worries. We'll, we'll, we'll have to do another check-in at some point later this year, but I'll go next. My safe was historic on-premise sales in a single month. And my bold was a big craft merger, thinking like a co-op, like multiple small breweries banding together to survive and thrive. Um, on my safe prediction, that has not happened yet, at least uh, nationwide. Maybe there are some states that there are some states that have kind of started to fully open or are about to fully open. 
And I haven't seen any numbers around that. I haven't seen any coverage of any sort of historic on-premise sales. That may be something that we probably won't get until the end of the year uh, when, when really all the data gets analyzed. And just for example, state of Washington right now, we're a mix of phase two and three. So the most we have on like seated dining is 50% and that's in phase three. And there's some, some counties in phase two, that's only 25%. So I don't think that's going to come to fruition until we get to hundred percent. I'm still hopeful. It was my safe prediction. So I'm very hopeful that that will come to fruition and come true on my bold prediction. I have not seen anything that indicates there's a, <laughs> to the scale that I talked about in our prediction of multiple craft brewers banding together to create a co-op, uh, similar to what you saw with, I think it was Craft Beer Alliance before they got bought up by AB InBev, that type mm-hmm. of grouping of multiple breweries. However, just in March of this year, it was announced that Deschutes Brewing and Boneyard Brewing, which are both located in Bend, are creating a joint venture uh, in all the coverage I saw, it was more, it, you know, it was all described more as like Deschutes is buying Boneyard. Um, actually, the the individual who founded Boneyard was a former Deschutes employee and and brewer. So, you know, definitely keeping it in the family, like bringing the, those yeah. two brands together is, you know, doesn't surprise me knowing the, the history they have between those two brands. So that's definitely going to create, you know, a larger group of those two, but I don't think it it doesn't meet my, my bold prediction of multiple breweries, but uh, just for quick reference in 2019, in terms of the independent craft brewers that were surveyed by the BA in total production, Deschutes was number 11 in barrel production at 290,000. And then in 2019, Boneyard was down at 103 in, and they had, you know, over 28,000 barrels produced. So if you combine those two, that puts them in, you know, that number 10 slot. So mm-hmm. they are moving up just in terms of size, but, you know, I think it's going to be good for Boneyard because Deschutes has a lot of distribution and, and they're a really well-known brand. And, and I know that I've had Boneyard. I think all of us have had Boneyard beer and I, I enjoy it. And so I'm glad that they're going to be able to continue and grow based on this new joint venture. And so Josh, I'm going to, I'm going to throw it to you for, uh, to wrap this up. Yeah, I'll go uh, last and quick. So my safe was that uh, we had seen a few different people indicate that more folks going back into a brewery would be wanting to look for something different. My really easily safe prediction was that IPA would not take a back seat um, and would potentially hold a equal, if not larger piece of the pie. I don't really have the, the data to back that up. We've only seen the first three months. IPA is held strong, so that's a good indicator, but we'll, we'll see how it goes when, when people are actually back in breweries. My bold prediction, I have zero information on this, which is not a good sign. Uh, I had predicted that Rosé beer was going to pick up. I'm still hopeful that my bold prediction could come true, but I I honestly have nothing to share with you guys in terms of of Rosé beer picking up. The last thing I want to mention, Rob, we conveniently skipped your bold prediction, and I want to quickly understand if there's any crazy beer gadgets uh, to brew my beer in in my kitchen. That might be coming soon. All right. Well, just a reminder, my bold <laughs> prediction is that a crazy beer gadget to brew beer will come out. Like basically think Keurig, but for beer. I haven't seen anything yet, but mm. I will say if I if we get to like June, July, <laughs> and there's no reports, you're gonna invent I think one. we've got a business opportunity, people. <laughs> I think I think we need to we need to 
come out with this. This is there's going to be a lot of demand for this. All right, Josh, I I think this podcast is on its own helping you through your safe prediction. I think we are keeping IPAs on top. Just us. we're doing our part, <laughs> that's for sure. And also, I just want to do a quick little input here. I don't hope your bold prediction comes true. I'm totally fine with Rose beers never happening. That'd yeah, be great. That's fine. <laughs> Just go away. <laughs> but I, I personally hope that I'm correct from a more, you know, me perspective. <laughs> Just for selfish reasons. <laughs> to win. <laughs> yes. To win the game. All right. That's going to be it for the first half. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with our unique beer of the week. Thank you for checking out the Bruise Day podcast. We got some big news. We are sunsetting our at the Bruise Day Instagram account. So for more content or to leave a comment, follow us on Twitter at the Bruise Day and on Instagram at the Bruise Day Review, where we post daily beer photos and reviews. All right, now back to the show. That didn't sound as good as the earlier crack. I'm just going to acknowledge that. I will wow. fully admit mine cracked easier. It didn't wasn't as loud. Yeah, mine wasn't nearly. I apologize, Andy. I was Sorry more by the episode. color of my beer. Oh my gosh. Ooh, even is the foam neon. is red. <laughs> even bold, the head gosh. is colored. <laughs> that is really bold. Well, on that note, welcome back, everybody. We're going to jump into our unique beers of the week, and I'm going to go first. So I'm drinking the, and I'm probably going to say this wrong, but the Zimmer Girl IPA, which is a West Coast IPA from a collaboration of Old School House Brewing out of Winthrop, Washington, and Stoop Brewing out of Seattle. This is actually their um, Pink Boots collaboration. And just for reference, the Pink Boots Society is a nonprofit organization with kind of an international footprint that promotes women in the brewing profession and craft beer. So every year they come out with a specific Pink Boots blend of hops and breweries around the country brew a beer with that blend and use that and, and donate proceeds of sales. So I was able to pick up old school house brewings version of it, which was a collab with stoop. And it's a really cool can design, very much uh, kind of comic art. It's 6.7% ABV 35 IBU 3.92 average on a tap with only about 140 check-ins. Um, this, the blend this year has, I think six and six plus, hops included wow. in in the blend so there's gonna be a lot of flavors um a couple of flavors mentioned in the description uh mentions <laughs> predominantly meyer lemon and kumquat with light herbal notes so uh i'm gonna get into this and, and we'll come back to me and give my rating but um, i'm excited to try this one i can jump in next wes got me all hyped on toppling goliaths so i went out to see what i could track down and i actually found their dragon fandango uh, so Toppling Goliath, again, out of Decorah, Indiana. It's a 4.2% 15 IBU kettle sour. I had never seen a Toppling Goliath sour, so I grabbed it. Uh, 4.27 average with uh, almost 18,000 ratings. They listed as being citra hopped with dragon fruit, mango, and passion fruit. Honestly, it's it's nailing that. The citra hop is, is probably understated, but that's sort of given uh, since it's a sour. Uh, initial sips, I'm, I'm really liking it, but definitely need to to get into this again. It's kind of a neon pink purple color, so should be exciting. All right, Rob, what are you drinking? I have Evil Dankster IPA. 
it's brewed with hop hash. It's from Tupps Brewery at a McKinney, Texas. It's a 7% ABV, no IBU listed. Has an untapped average of 3.95 with only 282 check-ins, so rather uh, new. I didn't know what to think as I was going in, into this, especially because it didn't have an, an IBU listed. I am familiar with a lot of Tupps beers, but I've never tried this Evil Dankster series before. Uh, I don't know where I'm, I'm at on this. I, I'm struggling because I, I know it's going to be under a four. Uh, I feel like the hop hash, I know they went for the weird, but it, it, to me, it's just not really coming out uh, at least what I, I think they were aiming for. I know that they were hoping for something, at least as the, the series is named, something very dank and very uh, hoppy. I might get some of that on the smell, but I'm not really getting it on the taste. I'm a little surprised it's not like DDH number 3,793. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like so much of what I know about Tups is just the DDH series, which they do so many of, and it's such a frequent release. So the, that's awesome you're able to find something else. And that's why, yeah, that's why I was, I was happy to see a different series and, and excited to try it. Rob, did you mean to drink this beer last week, given the theme? I did, actually. <laughs> yes. It, I'm also, this is, Hop Hash is a new one for me. I wasn't familiar with it. So also when I saw that, I, I was really intrigued about what Hop Hash is. It's basically, at least as the description on Beer Advocate calls it, it's, it's an extremely potent form of hops that is the result of the pelletizing process. Hapash is a raw and unpolished product that is collected by hand from the pelletizer. Wow. So not your typical, you know, hop process, at least as you're brewing beers. But I think this might be the first beer I've ever had uh, with Hapash in it. Well, Rob, I can, I can build on that with my beer, actually. I am drinking a Moon Rocks Double Dry Hopped Hazy Triple IPA. Damn. Goldwater Brewing Company, uh, Scott Sailor, Arizona. Dang. These guys release this every year. I'm a little confused on like what to see because they do this yearly. They at least did it last year. I don't, I don't know if they've done it years prior to that. I had it last year. I gave it 4.1. They brewed it again this year. This year they have, this is hopped with Amarillo Flower Hops. You cannot hop oil, Idaho seven hop hash, and then citrus strata and comet hop pellets. So we got a lot of hops coming into this wow. thing. It's 9.5%, no IBU listed. They have a like a rating on untapped, but it's all from last year. It's weird that they didn't put a new new beer out or a new listing last year because actually last year's was a 10.5%. So this is definitely a different beer. It's really good. This is a 9.5% ABV. I don't taste a single bit of booze in it. It is super smooth. It actually doesn't have much of a bitterness to it, which you, I mean, it's a, it's a hazy, so it's impressive. But for a triple IPA, it's not easy. Yeah. Really good. Really flavorful. It's got a little bit of fruity notes, but it is got a nice hop flavor at the end, not necessarily bitterness. I'm really liking it. I rated last year's 4.1. I am definitely over that this year. I'm at least at like a 4.3, 4.4 so far, but I'll drink more of it to, to make sure to get that rating right. Well, Wes, I'm going to circle back now that I've had time to, to drink some of the Zimmer girl. 
I can't say that I taste the Meyer lemon or the kumquat. I do get some of the herbal notes. I'm really enjoying this. I pick up the pine that mentions in the, in the description. It's maybe not as dank as I would hope for with a West coast IPA, but I'm really enjoying it. It's not too bitter. It's surprisingly low bitterness, only 35 IBU uh, for an IPA, especially advertising as a West coast IPA. That should be somewhere in the range of like 70 plus. If it's going to be truly in line with that West coast style, I'm enjoying the beer, probably going to be around a 4.1, 4.2. I'm a big fan of what old school house puts out. I visited their brewery a couple months ago on a trip out to the Metho Valley Winthrop area. So I'm, I'm a big fan of theirs. Um, but I'm going to pass it over to you, Josh, since you've had some time now to drink your dragon red beer. Uh, what do you, what do you rate that? <laughs> My dragon Fandango beer, Andy, is actually, uh, it's excellent. It, you can definitely tell that it's a kettle sour over a barrel age or something like that. There, there's a bit of um, tinniness is, I guess, what I would call it. That's somewhat standard with with a kettle sour. Uh, but to be fair, it's really juicy. Uh, it's fruity and it has a good tart. Um, I know, Rob, that might not be up your alley. It's not overly powerful, though. So to to my standpoint, it's it's rather I'm going to say that it's rather balanced for a sour, which to me is, is a really good thing. Uh, all those flavors come out. It's uh, it's great. The The high average is, I think, right online. And, and I actually just checked it in and gave it a 4.2. So just slightly under that 4.27 average. All right, Rob, I'm going to pass it over to you since we didn't get a rating from you when you uh, first introduced your beer. So what, what are you thinking of the Dankster IPA now? Yeah, I think I'm going to, I'm probably at a 3.7 is, is kind of where I'm at right now. It It's I don't think my initial reaction, you know, probably isn't as bad as my initial reaction was. I'm, I, I think I'm, it's growing on me a little bit, but it, I'm still not uh, close to where the average is at a four. I respect that. And Wes, I think we need to wrap this up with you. Are you, uh, where are you sitting on your rating? I, you know, I, I'll be honest. I have a four pack of this. This is the first one. I am at least at a four, three. I can give you that. Nice. It might go up by the end of this beer. It might go up by the end of the fourth four pack. <laughs> but right now I'm sitting at a 4.3, and I'm saying that that might increase. I probably won't check this this one in just so I can have a couple more to make sure I'm sure on that rating. So you're saying that the rating could go to the moon, basically. It could it just could keep going go to, to the, the moon. moon. It could. <laughs> just ride that rocket to the moon. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Very, very timely reference. All right. So while we keep drinking these beers, we're going to move on to our big board. Very quickly, we're going to do a recap of last week, which was the MLS opening week. We each had four games picked for last week's big board. LAFC versus Austin FC. LAFC won 2-0. We had... The Colorado Rapids versus FC Dallas. That was a draw, nil-nil. We had the Chicago Fire versus New England Revolution. That was a draw, uh, 2-2. And then we had the Sporting Kansas City beat the Red Bulls uh, with three total goals. So looking at how that all broke out, uh, the total tiebreaker for that was nine goals. And uh, stupid Josh won. Uh, (laughs) He correctly selected... LAFC and the draw, which 
no one else did. So Josh, mad props to you for getting that draw. And you picked the tiebreaker spot on. So you went two and two, you had LAFC in the draw, correct. Uh, and lost on the other two matchups. Wes, you were also two and two, but you were off a little bit on the tiebreaker. You selected correctly LAFC in Sporting Kansas City, but missed out on the other two matchups. So you're taking second. I'm taking third. I only selected Sporting Kansas City correctly, and my tiebreaker was even further away than yours. But thankfully, Rob's tiebreaker was even further away than mine. <laughs> and Rob only selected the <laughs> LAFC game correct. So, Rob, you got dead last. Josh, you got five seconds. What do you have to say as the winner? I'm just going to stay humble and, and keep keep heading in the right direction. Love it. Concise. Let's move on. So looking ahead to this week, we are doing the NASCAR race that's coming up this weekend in Talladega. It is the Geico 500. So for this, we're going to be choosing two drivers each from the top 15 based on the most recent odds. And then we're also going to be choosing one driver from the bottom five drivers based on odds. So we're going to each choose a total of three drivers. Total combined placement will be the deciding factor on who wins. And then the tiebreaker will be most laps led by any driver. So Rob, since you got dead last and how this is going to go in our first round, we're each going to pick one of the top 15 and one of the bottom five. And then in the second round, you're going to pick your second top 15 pick and then you're also going to give your tiebreaker so rob you're going to go first since you got last last week so i need your first pick from the top 15 and your pick from the bottom five all right well i'm i think i'm gonna have to go with denny hamlin he's uh he's he's first in the the odds right now and then i think you know out of the bottom five i'm going with joey gase i don't know much about him but I just have a good feeling. It's cool. Okay. Okay. All right. So since I got third place, I'm going to go next. I'm, you know, he's right up there in the top. I'm going Joey Lowe, Joey Logano. I've picked him on multiple races in the past. I don't know if he's ever actually won me <laughs> a big but you board. gotta stay on my pick, but I'm staying true to that. So I'm going Joey Logano for my top 15 pick. And then for my bottom five pick, I'm going Timmy Hill because I just like to say the word Timmy. And right. so I, you know, the odds at the bottom five are, are pretty similar. So there's, you know, to some degree, it may be a crap shoot on this pick, but I'm going Timmy Hill. And next we have Wes. So give us your top, one of your top 15 and your bottom five pick. All right. So I'm going, I want to go. Kislowski. I've picked Kislowski before. I don't think it worked out great for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Bring it, pulling in Brad, Brad Kislowski for my top pick. Uh, he's going to run in that number two car. And then, I mean, honestly, just because I don't know, I'm going Josh Balicki. No idea what he's going to do, but that's my pick. Wes, I'm a little surprised you didn't go with uh, one of the Bush brothers hey you never know you gotta save what <laughs> happened for a next whole pick. other pick <laughs> yeah we got, we got more to go i figured you'd want to lock in the the bush brother early yeah, we'll see all right and josh since you got first last week what are your uh first top 15 pick and your bottom five pick 
So for my top pick, I'm going to go with Chase Elliott. And for my bottom pick, I feel like Jennifer is getting screwed with her with her percentage. I'm going Jennifer Jokob. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that she she makes a big run and her plus five thousand rating is entirely undeserved. Uh, it's actually plus fifty thousand. Uh, plus fifty thousand. Excuse me. <laughs> so, I <laughs> Thank mean, you, Randy. The rest of them aren't far ahead at plus my state, thirty thousand. Yeah. My yet. my statement stands. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, so Rob, back to you. We need your final pick from the top 15 plus your tiebreaker. All right, my final pick in the top 15 is going to be, and Andy, you just called it out, one of the Bush brothers. I'm taking Kurt Bush. My tiebreaker is going to be 52. So that's 52 laps uh, led by any driver. Rob, I'm a little surprised you didn't take the person who was just ahead of that Bush brother in, in the odds. And I've, I can't say that I've ever heard of that driver. So, but uh, I'm a little surprised based on your prior tendencies. Go for it, Andy. All right. So I'm going to pick Ricky Stenhouse jr. As my, as my next pick. And I'm going 54 as my tiebreaker. So Wes, we're going to throw it to you next. All right, for my third pick, I'm actually going to go with Kevin Harvick uh, running the number four car. And I am actually going to go – I'm going to go high. I'm going to go 55 on you guys. Okay. All right, and Josh, it uh, gets thrown into your court to wrap this up. All right, going last, I'm going to shamelessly go with the odds. I'm going Ryan Blaney as my last pick, uh, just because I feel like I should. And, oh, I was right at uh, right at that 55 number. I guess I'm going to go higher with a 56. Ooh, love it. All right, really, uh, really locking Wes in there. Yeah, thanks All a lot. All right, well, then we'll just have to see what happens with the Geico 500 this weekend, and we'll obviously recap on next week's episode. All right. So now that we've got that in the bank, we're going to move on to our lightning round. And, you know, as we just touched on uh, with the NASCAR race that's happening this weekend, fans are starting to be allowed back into live sporting events. And these fans are going to be drinking beers in the stands while they watch. So in that spirit, those fans are going to need some novelty drinking vessels or novelty cups to spend their money on when they're at these events watching. So I want you guys to come up with a unique novelty drinking cup for those fans to buy at this at a sporting event. I'm going to give you each a sport and I want you to tell me what, what that vessel or what that cup would be. That is very, that, that ties to that sport that, that a fan could really enjoy and buy when they're drinking. So Wes, I'm going to jump to you first and the sport that I've picked for you is a little bit of a weird one. It is tuck, tuck polo. And so this port, oh shit, <laughs> this sport is primarily played in Sri Lanka and it's a take on polo. So obviously, you know, you're familiar with the sport of polo, but instead of the players moving around on horses, the players are driving around in tuk-tuks, which are these like small three wheeled vehicles that you commonly see used as taxis in, in some Asian countries. And so I need to know, like, what would be like your first thought, like your go-to, like, 
novelty drinking cup for someone who's going to be watching probably some crazed people drive around in tuk-tuks and try to score a goal. I mean, my first thought is, what the fuck is a tuk-tuk? Second of all, is what is a tuk-tuk polo? So I'm very confused. I'm, they hired the wrong guy for their, like, merchandising. Yeah. But you'll take their money. Assuming a tuk-tuk has, you said, three wheels. So, I mean, I'm going with it. I'm going the sweet wheel glass. It's, it's actually not even glass. It's just like a, it's like a, around, like, maybe a cool... It has like your team name on the spokes, like the, the the wheel itself is like that. But then the outside is like a bladder that you fill up with beer. And then you basically just sip out of the straw on the top of it. And like, you know, you can drink some beer. If your tuk-tuk breaks down the way home, maybe you can blow up <laughs> some beer and tie it off and use it as a wheel. I mean, it's it's going to benefit everybody. I, I, I'm, I'm a little lost here. So that's about as good as I can get. <laughs> I love it. Form I'm gonna and function. Yeah. I'm gonna age it. myself. I I'm sort of referring back to those elementary school chocolate milk like bags that you like slammed a a straw into to drink out of. That's what I'm imagining your wheel looks like. <laughs> sure. Yes. <laughs> well, Wes, I I definitely uh, applaud your response, and I think that I would definitely be willing to drink out of that if I attended a match. <laughs> so, Josh, you're gonna go next, and solely because you own a wizard hat. Ooh. The sport that I've picked for you is Quidditch. Now, obviously Ooh. that is a fictional. Well, I guess it's no longer a fictional sport. There is, a, there is a, there yeah, uh, is a real life version. <laughs> but uh, what would your novelty like cup be for a Quidditch match? Oh, I got to think back to the few times I've watched Harry Potter movies. I think it's going to be, I know there's the, uh, I think it's the defenders who have this big, stick to uh to beat the ball back i think i'm just going to turn this giant stick into a like uh, a nice little little beverage so someone's just like holding a broomstick up <laughs> yeah, in the air? no no like they have they have these like big defender sticks that they hold that beat the ball back if it, if it gets too close to that i'm gonna just call it the and, goal and it's hollowed out so yeah, you just put the beer it's hollowed out i just throw the beer in it cut the top off i kind of like that so yeah, it's just it's like simple a, it's just like a, just a very elongated flask mm-hmm. <laughs> with beer in it. Oh, I love that. So Andy, we decided, you know, I think as we were going into this, we weren't exactly sure how, where to take it, but we decided <laughs> to go with underwater hockey for our sport. And it is a sport. Oh, I definitely saw it as a sport when I was researching which weird sports I was going to give you guys. Very legitimate. Oh, excellent. So you're familiar with this sport then. <laughs> I am. I actually am going to go uh, scuba tank. Because if you're a fan trying to watch underwater hockey. That'd be cool. Really, the only way to get down there to watch it is to be underwater with it. And I think it would probably be like a duo. Like, you know how you have like your your beer cup hat? <laughs> It would be a two tank system. So you have one tank that's oxygen, one tank that's beer. I would hope there's at least one oxygen tank. I appreciate you thinking about that. Maybe not just a beer tank. (laughs) Any guesses on how many times Andy's going to forget which one is oxygen and which one's beer? (laughs) Tries to breathe in and just drowns of beer. 
but yeah, it would be it would be a two tank system. So it's you know that's you. I feel like that's the only real way to watch underwater hockey is you got to be underwater with it. So you're gonna need your oxygen. So that yeah, I'm going with the two tank the two tank system. I can't wait to see that. That's fantastic, and I want to try it too. <laughs> yeah, I'm I want very one. intrigued now. It's basically <laughs> this. Oh. I can we can delete this, but it's, I'm thinking like basically like like a keg like a tank yeah. shaped keg that you just <laughs> in your mouth. No, oh, and and if you're above water it's actually a two beer system. Exactly. It could be a two beer system. All right, and finally Rob and I picked this sport because I feel like you would actually enjoy <laughs> attending a match, but I I've selected chess boxing for you. So if Ooh. you were trying to sell beers to fans of chess boxing, what would that novelty cup be? <laughs> wow it, it has to have you know I'm, i am familiar with chess boxing and that is definitely something that i would enjoy watching i feel like it has to have a mix of some sort of danger to it uh as well as some sort of like creativity or some something some sort of puzzle to it as well um to just mix the two which is chess and, and boxing so i'm almost thinking like some sort of like puzzle that turns into then like a shotgun that you once you figure out the puzzle <laughs> holy the just starts going everywhere and you just have to you just have to chug it immediately like an actual shotgun or not like a gun <laughs> like a beer shotgun like where... a puzzle box and once you've solved the puzzle the, the beer, beer just, just shoots out and you just come right yeah it just sounds better spraying out. Shotgun. <laughs> yeah i guess okay. sorry not a not yeah. a shotgun like a, a gun yeah a puzzle not, box. not a 12 gauge we definitely appreciate can. the clarification. Yes, yeah. thank you. That's a that's a <laughs> well, I think that's it for the lightning round. So we're gonna move on. We're gonna wrap this episode up and and go to our good, bad, or ugly of the week. And and Wes, I want to start off with you. What's been your good, bad, or ugly of this week? Yeah, so mine's an a, an, a bad and ugly that turned into a good. As was mentioned in our previous episode, I am a crowler ranger at Four Peaks Brewing, and they released the second one of the year on Thursday and Friday, you could go pick it up. I could not get there on Thursday or Friday. I was pretty bummed. You guys actually sent me a post of what the release was. They called it Bud Heavy, which is funnier if they weren't actually owned by AB InBev, but it yeah. is still funny because it's a double hazy IPA. So they're saying it's like heavy with hops. I missed it. I emailed those guys and I didn't hear back from them. I was pretty bummed over the weekend. But they just emailed me back and said, hey, come in. You can still get your crawlers. So I'm going to go pick up uh, not only Bud Heavy, but the other three variants in crawlers. So I'm pretty pumped to get those and hopefully have one of those next week on the podcast, to be honest. Oh, well, I'm jealous because I was as soon as I saw that, I think I said to the message like, you need to get this. I, I didn't even remember that as a crawler ranger, you might actually have access to it. You sent me that, and I was like, yeah, I know. I wish I had had it. And then they, right before this podcast started, they sent me the email of, I can still come get, grab it. So I'm excited. All right. That is fantastic. Uh, Rob, I'm going to jump to you next. What's been your good, bad, or ugly? So mine is a good, although it hasn't really come to fruition yet. I, I've just been given a heads up. Uh, I was notified by my cousin that he is planning to fill my fridge with a few treehouse beers in the near future. 
our fridges or your <laughs> fridges? I, I would like to specify. Uh, you know, I don't know that I can clarify that now. This might be a bad on a future episode for you, Josh. <laughs> I might not join that episode. <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. I I did get a hint as to what beers he might be sending, uh, but I will hold on to that and and wait until it actually happens. For now, it's a good. It, I'm very optimistic. It could turn into a great. It I guess it will great, turn into a great. It will. It's it, already a great. It's, yeah. a, it's already a great. Well, then it'll turn into a greater once you actually receive them. <laughs> so I'm going to go next. I actually have a great. It's it's above a good for me. Today, I was actually able to attend a live sporting event and drink beer while watching a baseball game. I was able to watch the Mariners versus the Dodgers in Seattle. It was a great experience. Got to drink a couple of beers. It just, it felt very familiar, but also at the same time kind of foreign because it's been so long since I've attended a live sporting event, but it was really great to just get out to the stadium and, and really, you know, that's, that's a, a joy of mine is just to kind of be at the ballpark and enjoy a beer while watching the game. So that's, that's my great for this week. And Josh, we'll wrap it up with you. So my good, uh, we, we talked a little bit about spring coming, whether it got cold here for a bit. Uh, but as you probably have noticed, my last few check-ins, I've gotten to enjoy more than a few beers outdoors. And honestly, just uh, being able to go outside when it's over 50 degrees has been excellent. So I'm enjoying drinking beer outside and uh, as I think you guys are as well. Yeah, no, it's with the weather warming up, and hopefully things turning in the right direction. I'm hoping for a lot of outdoor drinking this summer. So I think that wraps it up for this week's episode. Really appreciate everyone listening. Thank you guys for taking part tonight. And I think we're just going to wrap it up in the way we always do with a uh, peace. 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 Sorry, big, big porter just busted in the door. <laughs> <laughs> just fucking head rammed it.